0: So listen to verses 11 and 12 of Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And as Aaron said at one point last week, this uh, Jesus just turns everything upside down with this Sermon on the Mount, including here. Blessed are you when people mistreat you. That's basically what he's saying. Then we're going to go down to chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And Anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Rakha, that's just a term of of abuse and is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. This is God's word to us, and we give him thanks for it. So, there are many things, I think, that we as human beings have in common, and surely one of those things is that we have all felt mistreated on occasion, right? We've all felt victimized or put down or let down or insulted, or ignored, or betrayed, or rejected, perhaps even persecuted, though I would use that word most cautiously. We have all felt the pain of having something said to us, or something said about us that should not have been said, or something done to us that should not have been done, or something left undone that should have been done. On the lips of Every person in this room, on more than one occasion, I suspect, has come the words, or at least mentally in the mind, but it isn't fair. I didn't deserve that. We've all felt mistreated. Which brings me to the first thought of the morning. Let's recognize that mistreatment is a fact of life, period. Fact of life everyone here is going to have to deal with such feelings again sometime, somewhere. You can count on it. And that's not the statement, by the way. That's not the statement of a pessimist or a cynic. It's the statement of a realist, a student and observer of the human condition. Mistreatment is simply a fact of life. Now, if you don't believe me, Maybe you'll believe good old Charlie Brown. The tradition began way back in 1953 and it lasted for nearly 50 years. It was one of the greatest, longest running gags in human history. Every year, as another football season would come around, know where I'm going? Every year, as another football season would come around, Charlie Brown would go out to practice his kicking. Every year, Lucy would offer to hold the ball for him. And every year, Lucy would pull the ball away just as Charlie was about to kick it. And poor old Charlie Brown would fall down hard. Mistreated again. On one occasion, the year was 1958, just Five years into this humor gag. Lucy sees Charlie headed out with his football. She says, You should try some place kicks. And then she says, Why don't you let me hold the ball for you, Charlie Brown? Do you think I'm crazy? shouts Charlie. Do you think you can fool me with the same old thing year after year after year? Oh, I won't pull the ball away, Charlie Brown, she says innocently. I promise you, I give you my bonded word. All right, I'll trust you. I have an undying faith in human nature. And as he runs towards Lucy, who is holding the football in place, Charlie says, I believe that people who want to change can do so. And I believe they should be given a chance to prove themselves. He hardly finishes his thought when Lucy pulls the ball away again. Charlie falls flat on his back with a great big womp. Lucy looks down at him and says, Charlie Brown, your faith in human nature is an inspiration to young people everywhere. <laughs> Look, through the character of Lucy, I suggest to you, Peanuts creator, the late Charles Schultz, was simply reminding us that mistreatment is a fact of life, and it's a fact of life because human nature is bent. Because human nature is sinful. And again, I I say that not as the thought of a pessimist, not as the thought of a cynic. Rather, it's the thought of a realist, a student, an observer of the human situation, and of a theologian who takes the Bible seriously. Because the Bible says, it tells us, that we live in a fallen, bent world, and that our very natures as human beings have been bent out of shape by sin. Therefore, we have all been mistreated, We have all been guilty of mistreating others. We can all expect to be mistreated again in the future, and though we should fight the impulse and fight it really, really hard, we will all be guilty of mistreating another again at some point in the future and probably not too many days or even hours from now. And at least in part, I think, Is that not what Jesus is getting at in our scripture text of the morning? Blessed are you when. He didn't say if, he said when. When people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Jesus reminds us that it happened to the prophets of old, to those godly saints who went before us, and it will happen to us as well. Mistreatment is a fact of life. So, the question becomes, how shall we deal with mistreatment? How shall we react in the midst of it or in its wake? Is there an appropriate response or two for Christ followers who feel mistreated by someone? I want to begin by considering the option you and I have to mistreatment. We can choose to blow up and strike back at those who mistreat us. That may help to explain the phenomenon of road rage and work rage, and today I'd suggest now we've got political rage, and all the other rages, Facebook rage, too common in our day. A relatively minor incident of mistreatment occurs in a parking lot or on a roadway. A few heated words are exchanged between drivers, then an obscene gesture, and with frightening suddenness, anger turns to rage. Or an employee feels mistreated in the workplace, walks out to their car, pulls out a weapon from under the front seat or from the trunk, proceeds back into the building to shoot his supervisor, anyone else who happens to get in the way, resulting in several persons shot to death, and then the perpetrator either turning the gun on him or herself or spending the rest of life in prison. Blowing up. And taking revenge. It may feel good for a brief moment, but it is ultimately destructive to both self and others. Perhaps, maybe that's why Jesus gave this clear instruction in the Sermon on the Mount. An instruction, I say again, that turns everything upside down because it goes totally against our first instincts. He says this You've heard that it was said, Love your neighbor. Hate your enemy. It's the Old Testament law. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be true sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. Okay, one way to deal with the hurt of mistreatment, we can choose to blow up and strike back. So tempting. Here's another way. We can choose to blow off steam and give vent to our anger and frustration, which, by the way, can be destructive or it can be constructive. I'm reminded of the story about a woman who came to her pastor. It was after church one Sunday morning, and she asked the pastor to pray for her bad temper. And then embarrassed that she even had to ask, she quickly added, but it's always over in an instant. To which the pastor said, so is a shotgun blast, my dear, but it blows everything to bits in that instant. Right? Been there, done that. Blowing off steam is destructive. When we wind up verbally or physically mistreating someone else in the process often a totally innocent party. You know the routine. We misdirect our anger. We slam doors. We kick the family pet. We scream at our spouse or children, all the while saying how it makes us feel better when we've released our anger. Well, that may be true, true that such venting creates a sense of relief for ourselves, but it doesn't do anything good for the ones we have in turn victimized. For now, our victims are left with hurt feelings, destroyed dignity, fearful expectations of the next blow up, and now they need to deal with being mistreated. An ugly cycle has begun. Instead how about we seek to blow off steam and and vent our feelings constructively? Hear me now. We blow off steam constructively when we find a willing third party, a friend perhaps, a family member, a pastor, a counselor, a therapist, who will let us get our feelings out describe the pain, talk about the hurt in safe ways and in a safe place, even though, even though we may say some th- things we wouldn't want others to hear or shed some tears we wouldn't want others to see or shake some fists we don't want anyone to feel. Venting anger and frustration. Before a trusted friend or confidant, I'd suggest to you, is a whole lot healthier than holding it in. It's a whole lot healthier than uh, uh, suppressing such feelings while they eat away and destroy us from the inside out. Did you know, this is true, friends, did you know that suppressed feelings of anger can be one cause of depression in human beings? And such suppressed feelings can manifest themselves in other ways that wind up being unhealthy to our very body. So I say, go ahead and express your feelings of hurt and anger, but do it right, do it constructively, do it with someone you trust, someone you know cares for you, someone who could put a hand on your shoulder, offer you an embrace afterward and say it's okay. I agree, you did not deserve to be mistreated like that. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Now let's see what we can do to grow through and move beyond this hurt and maybe even resolve it with the other. Blow up? No. Blow off? Yes, but only when we do it rightly and constructively. Do it wrong, and it's confession time. Time to repair the damage, if the damage can even be repaired. Here's a third way to deal with the hurt from being mistreated. We can choose to bow down to those who mistreated us. We can choose to accept their abuse or harassment or persecution or bullying as if we deserve it or as if we are somehow powerless to stop it. Now, it should not come as a surprise to you that I find that kind of approach troubling as well. Here's why. The Bible says we are all persons of great worth and value, created in the image of God, says God's word. Temples of the Holy Spirit bought at a price, the price of death, the death of Christ on the cross for us. People of great worth and value, and that's every person in this room and on the planet, People of great worth and value do not deserve mistreatment. We are not meant to be abused by others. Charles Schultz, author of the Charlie Brown Lucian football strip. Ready for this? He wrote the last of that series in 1999, 46 years running. Lucy and Charlie are outside, ready to do the football kick again. Lucy's little brother, Rerun, comes out and says to Lucy, Mom says to come in for lunch. Lucy says, ignoring Rerun, So I'll hold the ball, Charlie Brown. You come running up and kick it. Rerun screams. Mom says, right now. Lucy, oh, good grief. Charlie, that's all right. We'll do it some other time. No, says Lucy. Rerun can take my place. As Rerun holds the ball after Lucy goes in the house, Charlie says, this time I'll do it. This time I'll kick it. Rerun will never pull it away. He just wouldn't. So here we go. In the next frame, Rerun is seen back in the house, bringing the ball to Lucy as she says, what happened? Did you pull the ball away? Did he kick it? What happened? And Rerun says, you'll never know. And Lucy screams in agony. Isn't that a great way to end one of the greatest, longest-running gags in human history? Lucy, you'll never know. However, for our purposes today, I'd like to suggest a different ending. A very, very different ending. As Lucy offers to hold the football for Charlie Brown, I think Charlie should say, no way, Lucy. While I want you for a friend, I can't trust you anymore. I've taken all the abuse I'm going to take from you. I don't need it. I don't deserve it. After all, I'm good, old Charlie Brown. So Lucy, when it comes to football, you and I are finished unless and until you start treating me better and earn back my trust. Which leads us to another way of dealing with mistreatment, friends. Sometimes it is best to bow out and to walk away, especially from an abusive situation or an abusive relationship. Jesus did that on occasion, you know we read about one such time in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus was in the midst of a typical Sabbath day with his disciples. The Pharisees are nipping at the master's heels, trying to find some way that they can criticize him. And they love to criticize him for his Sabbath practices. So they're out about this day with him. They were especially upset when Jesus responded on impulse and out of compassion to heal a man with a withered hand, restoring that hand to full strength. However, this compassionate act of healing on the part of Jesus constituted work on the Sabbath day in the minds of the Pharisees, and they took it as one more act of defiance by this rebellious rabbi from Galilee. So here it comes, Matthew chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The ultimate form of mistreatment, wouldn't you say it? Aware of this, aware of their plot to mistreat him, to persecute and kill him, aware of this, here's what it says, Jesus, ready for this, withdrew from that place. Jesus bowed out of the circumstance. Jesus walked away from the abusive situation and chose to keep himself safe. Oh, to be sure... There would come that time in the life of Jesus when he would allow himself to be mistreated by his enemies. You know it. When he would allow them to mock him and beat him and crucify him. But that was in response to a higher calling. That was in response to a grander purpose. That would be in his role as savior of the world. When he went willingly to the cross, took the sins of the world upon himself to demonstrate the great love of God, for the creatures created in his image. Friends, get this. None of us has been called to be crucified for the sins of the world. None of us would even qualify for the role. When Jesus said, take up my cross and follow me, that may well have been, I think it was, a call for us to suffer with the suffering and to stand with the oppressed. But Jesus did not mean that his followers were to actively seek out persecution, nor did he mean for us to put up with abuse or harassment or mistreatment without protest or non-violent action, including walking away. So if you find yourself in a prolonged circumstance or relationship that is abusive, And you have sought help and have done your part in a spirit of Christian love to correct the circumstance and restore the relationship. But the mistreatment or the abuse goes on and on and on like Lucy with Charlie Brown. Year after year, it may be time to bow out and walk away. To protect your own dignity. To minister to your own self-esteem. To keep yourself safe. For these things are of great importance to God. Because you are of great importance to God. All right, so there is a final way of dealing with mistreatment. And in saying this, I'm about to prove that a good sermon can even have four points. There's a final way of dealing with mistreatment. Hear it. I've saved it for last. I've saved it for last because it involves a pair of very direct teachings from Jesus. These two teachings encircle all of the rest of the things that I've laid before you today. We find the first teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus said this, Therefore... If you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother or sister. Then come and offer your gift. And here's the second teaching of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 18. These words of Jesus. If a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter be be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they refuse to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. In other words, there's nothing more you can do. Walk away. Friends, in these two passages, one directed to the offender, did you catch that? And one directed to the offended. Jesus instructs us to seek reconciliation with those who mistreat us and with those whom we have mistreated. The desire of our Lord's heart is that broken relationships be restored. That's what God wants more than anything else. That's the ideal of God's kingdom. It is the longing of God's heart for all human relationships. However, being a realist, as well as a student and observer of human behavior, Jesus recognizes that our efforts towards reconciliation won't always work, that some offenders will be what the Bible calls hard of heart, And as Jesus says, they will refuse to listen. So then he says, walk away. Nonetheless, don't miss this. Reconciliation is the ideal Christ implores us to strive for. And Oh, by the way, as in all things, Jesus is our example. God's word reminds us that Jesus is the visible likeness of the invisible God. In other words, if we want to see God, if we want to know what God is like, all we have to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is fully and truly God. The visible likeness. You can see it. The visible likeness of the invisible God. But the Bible says that Jesus is also fully and truly human. Great mystery here, friends. A great mystery, but... True nonetheless. Jesus, who is fully and truly God, is also fully and truly human. Jesus, the Bible says, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the flesh, get this, in the flesh, Jesus is what God intends human beings to be. Jesus is the standard. Jesus is what God intends every human being to be. If you want to know what human beings are supposed to be like in character, in attitude and action towards God, in attitude and action towards others, if you want to see that, you look to Jesus. If you want some vision, and who doesn't? If you want some vision of the best you can be, Look to Jesus, because Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the one we seek to look up to and live up to. And as you look to Jesus, notice the way the master dealt with mistreatment. Jesus didn't misdirect his anger. Now, he confronted his enemies face to face. He did not cling to his hurts and indulge himself or allow himself to be embittered, Jesus did not seek revenge, but sought the best for everyone who came across his path, even those who mistreated him. Remember it, you know it, from the cross, he would utter that amazing prayer for his persecutors. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Jesus proved himself to be bigger and better than those who mistreated him. Okay. I don't know about you, But I know about me. I don't handle mistreatment as well as Jesus did. I just don't. And that's not an excuse, by the way. That's not rationalization. I have a long, long way to go in that regard. That's a confession I make at almost 73 years of age. But I will keep trying. And here's the good news. I sense that the master has not given up on me either. And I am grateful for that. Folks, mistreatment is a fact of life. But the sinful and insensitive and unjust actions and attitudes of others need not destroy any of us. When you feel mistreated, remember this. You're not alone. Never. As the Bible says, for in the same way they mistreated the prophets who were before you, and in the same way they mistreated Jesus, Jesus who comes to stand with us, who comes to minister to us, Jesus who says, you're not alone. I I will come to you. And he will. Amen and amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, it's good news. No, it's bad news first. Bad news first, I guess, in the sense that the reality, is not your ideal mistreatment to us from others, to others from us. It's not what you want. It's not your ideal. And in the midst of it, you do not desert us. You do not desert the human creatures made in your image. You come to us. You show us Jesus. You show us the way. You show us there is a better way. You say, be reconciled one to the other. Just as you came to reconcile us to yourself, Lord Jesus, you came to reconcile us to one another. May we hear it Renew be a people renewed and renewing the world to which you send us as we live in the way of Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.